Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome, everybody, to the Mariner's Mirror podcast, and this, the third edition of our Great Sea Fights series. Previously, we have had multi-part special editions on the Battle of the River Plate of December 1939, the first naval battle of the Second World War, and which led to the scuttling of the German pocket battleship, the Admiral Graf Spee. And the Battle of St Vincent of 1797, in which Horatio Nelson first shot to fame by boarding not one, but two of the largest enemy ships, one from the other, in what he described as his patent bridge for boarding first rates. Today, we begin our third edition of the Great Sea Fight series, as on this day in history in 1905, the Battle of Tsushima was fought in the Sea of Japan between the Japanese fleet and the Russians in what was to become famous as one of the most decisive naval battles in history. This episode gives you a general background to the battle and to the events which unfolded. To go with this episode, we have, you will be pleased to hear, attempted something entirely innovative by animating a contemporary battle plan. The plan we have used was made by William Packenham, a Royal Naval officer then attached to the Japanese fleet, who witnessed the events firsthand from the decks of the battleship Asahi. We have taken Packenham's sketch of the events, which resembles a plate of spaghetti, so dense are the squiggly lines representing the various movements of the two fleets, and we have redrawn them using the timestamps he gave to the action, so you can see the positioning of the two fleets in real time as the events unfolded. You can, in effect, watch the battle plan be drawn as if you were Packenham sitting at his desk. And you can find this excellent animation on the Mariner's Mirror Pod YouTube channel. The following text for this episode was written by Nicholas Blake, and Tim Concannon has been indispensable in providing detailed background knowledge and access to the sources and images, without which none of this would have happened. So thank you both. Subsequent episodes in this series on Tsushima will provide an important Japanese and Russian perspective to the battle, so do please keep in touch and we'll make sure that you don't miss a thing. The Battle of the Sea of Japan, 
27th of May 1905, 14th of May 1905, by the Russian calendar. The Battle of Tsushima was the decisive naval action between Japan and Russia that effectively ended the Russo-Japanese War. But the Imperial Japanese Navy engaged and annihilated the much larger Russian Baltic Fleet, not the Russian Far East Fleet, which Japan had attacked by surprise on the 8th and 9th of February 1904. The battle is important because it was the first in which wireless or radio telegraphy played a major part. The action that demonstrated the power of the all-big-gun battleship leading to HMS Dreadnought of 1906 and the Anglo-German Dreadnought race. The first time a modern battleship was sunk by guns and largely fought at previously unimaginable ranges of up to 12,000 metres, that's eight miles. The first and last decisive steel battleship action, the Russians lost eight battleships and more than 5,000 men while the Japanese lost only three torpedo boats and 116 men, the first modern defeat of a great European power by an Asian nation, and arguably the battle that made both the First World War more likely and another great fleet action less likely. From the 1860s, Imperial Japan looked to occupy the Korean Peninsula, which is about 200 kilometres to its west. Imperial Russia was expanding eastwards, and in 1861 attempted to establish an anchorage on the Japanese island of Tsushima, about 500 kilometres south of its southernmost port, Vladivostok, and halfway between Japan and Korea, but was driven off with British help. So instead, Russia developed and fortified a base at Port Arthur, now Lushunku, in the Chinese province of Manchuria. Port Arthur was approximately 500 kilometres west of the Korean peninsula, but Manchuria had a border with Korea and with Russia. The importance of both Port Arthur and Tsushima was that they could be used year-round. All Pacific ports in Russia froze in the winter. To counter this expansion, Japan therefore seized both Port Arthur and its peninsula as part of the First Sino-Japanese War of 1894-5. But after a threat of war by France, Germany and Russia, returned Port Arthur. The people of Japan considered this a national humiliation and that the whole of Manchuria fell within Japan's natural sphere of influence. Russia reoccupied and refortified Port Arthur and in 1897 the whole of the peninsula, at the same time building the Trans-Siberian Railway. This railway would link at Harbin, a Russian city in China, with a Russian-built and Russian-garrisoned railway that ran south to Port Arthur where it had stationed its Far East fleet. Japan considered this an unacceptable threat. It consolidated its position by an alliance with Britain in 1902, and after the failure of prolonged negotiations with Russia over respective spheres of influence in Manchuria and Korea, largely because Russia was playing for time, Japan attacked the Russian fleet without warning while it was at anchor in Port Arthur on the 8th and 9th of February in 1904. The battle began before the Japanese declaration of war was received by the Russian government and was in two parts. The first was a night action in which Japanese destroyers damaged a Russian cruiser and two battleships, putting them out of action for several weeks. The second, the next morning, saw the Japanese attack both the Russian fleet and the Russian shore batteries, damaging three cruisers and two battleships, then retreat, suffering some damage. 
The Japanese blockaded the port until December with support from Japanese armies besieging it, and minor actions continued with losses on both sides, as well as two attempts by the Russians to break the blockade and steam to Vladivostok to join the 1st Pacific Squadron there. In October and November, Russia decided to relieve Port Arthur and sent most of its Baltic fleet, renamed the 2nd Pacific Squadron, for the purpose. It was ordered to relieve the Japanese blockade, and with the Russian ships it released, link up with the 1st Pacific Squadron and then defeat the Japanese Navy. The lighter Russian cruisers and support vessels made their journey east through the Suez Canal, and the newer, heavier battleships worked all the way round Africa, reuniting at Kamran Bay in Indochina in April and May 1905, after a journey of nearly 30,000 kilometres. However, Port Arthur had fallen on the 2nd of January, so the fleet was ordered directly to Vladivostok, and choose the shortest route to get there, past Tsushima. As the Baltic fleet assembled, the sailors were told that theirs was a holy war against the infidel, but even as they left on their long journey, they had little expectation of victory. The captain of the new battleship, Imperator Alexander III, Nikolai Bukvostov, said during a farewell banquet, We know that Russia is not a sea power, and that the public funds spent on ship construction have been wasted. You wish us victory, but there will be no victory. But we will know how to die, and we shall never surrender. At Tsushima, the Imperator Alexander III was placed second in the line after rescuing the Russian flagship from concentrated Japanese gunfire it capsized with the loss of all 778 men on board. The Battle of Tsushima During the night of the 26th to the 27th of May 1905, the Tsushima Strait was obscured by thick fog with visibility 8,000 metres or less, and the Russian fleet hoped to pass through undetected on the eastern side of the island. But the Japanese had more than 70 patrol ships south of the Korea Strait looking for them. The Russian hospital ship Orel had lights showing and was seen by the Japanese cruiser Shinanumaru, which at 0445 Japanese time radioed the fleet's position to Admiral Togo, in harbour about 100 kilometres northwest of the island. The Japanese combined fleet left harbour two hours later. The Russian positions and formations were continually reported by radio telegrams. The Japanese combined fleet had five battleships, 23 cruisers, 20 destroyers and auxiliaries. The Russians outgunned them with 11 battleships, nine cruisers, nine destroyers and auxiliaries. But the Japanese had several advantages in addition to radio. First, instead of the Russian system of independent fire from each turret, they had central fire control from the bridge of each ship to fire all guns on the same target simultaneously. They also had British-built rangefinders that were much more accurate at ranges of up to 12,000 metres than the Russians, which were accurate only to 4,000. Togo used this advantage to concentrate fire on the enemy flagship first, then destroy the remainder. Second, instead of the Russian armour-piercing shells, they had high explosive. These were hugely destructive to superstructures. A 12-inch shell made a hole 7 foot high and 6 foot wide and caused fires in hammocks, ropes, and even the paint. The Oral had 34 separate fires during the action, and turned the coals stored everywhere on deck into thick black smoke. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The high explosive shells were smokeless and exploded if they hit the sea, which helped the gunnery officers improve their accuracy. Third, they had already defeated the Russians at Port Arthur and, in the Russian sortie, called the Battle of the Yellow Sea and had greatly improved their gunnery and torpedo tactics. The Russian Admiral Zinovy Rozhestvensky had never commanded a fleet in a major sea battle, while Togo was described by the naval historian Alfred Mahan as a naval officer who, beyond all others at the moment, can appreciate the real possibilities open to each branch of naval warfare. Just before the battle on board the battleship Orel, ordinary seaman Alexei Novikov Priboy recorded, the ship's company was unusually cheerful and talkative. At last, after all these months of anxious cruising, we were to fulfil our function in the coming battle. It was the anniversary of the coronation of the Tsar and the Tsarina, so there was a thanksgiving service on all the battleships, with a tot of vodka for every man. At the same time, in the Japanese fleet, the men wetted down the decks as a precaution against fire, and the hands were sent to an early dinner. The two fleets were in sight at 13.40, about 12,000 metres apart. The Russians were steaming northeast in two columns with the slower ships to the west, and the Japanese were steaming in one line from the northeast to the west, which meant they crossed the Russian T. They could use their whole armament while the Russians could only fire forward, with the Russian eastern column masked by the western. Then Togo ordered a turn in sequence, so that his ships were in a column parallel to the Russians, who responded with a gunnery battle at 6,000 metres or less. Throughout the action, the Japanese were able to manoeuvre at 16 knots, while the Russians were only capable of around 9 knots, and Togo used this decisively. A Russian observer said this accounted for the baffling and overwhelming tactics displayed by the Japanese throughout the battle. The first Russian ship to suffer was Ozlabia, the account of an unnamed officer. A shell bursting in our foremost compartment filled the two forward compartments with dense smoke. Supposing that fire had broken out, we set the pumps to work. There was, however, no fire. The water was rushing in through a hole in the side and soon began to affect the ship's trim. 
She healed more and more. From minute to minute I received reports that first this and then that magazine was flooded. At last, orders were issued to shut the magazines down on the port side and use the starboard magazines. Finally, the water began to pour on board in torrents. I entered the battery and saw that all was over. We had to stop the ammunition hoists and dynamos. Then I ordered the crew to abandon ship and went myself to report to the captain. At this moment, the heel was so great that it was impossible to stand up without support. The heavy objects, guns, boats began to slide across the deck. Then the left side of the bridge touched the water, the deck rose vertically and the water mounted up it. That was the last I knew. Although slow to respond, the Russian gunnery was good. They hit the Japanese flagship Mikasa more than 30 times during the action. The Imperator Nikolai I shot away one of the Fuji's 12-inch gun barrels and hit the Asahi, fourth in the Japanese battle group, four times. A British officer, Sir William Pakenham, was on board the Asahi. He recorded an explosion under the afterbridge filled the air with flying fragments. Of these, one fell underfoot. It was the right half of a man's lower jaw with teeth missing. Everything and everybody for 20 yards around was bespattered with tiny drops of blood. However, the Japanese gunnery was better. Commander Vladimir Semenov was on board the Russian flagship Kunyaz Suvorov, leading the left column. It seemed impossible even to count the number of projectiles striking us, he wrote. Shells seemed to be pouring upon us incessantly one after another. The steel plates and superstructure on the upper decks were torn to pieces and the splinters caused many casualties. Iron ladders were crumpled up into rings. Guns were literally hurled from their mountings. In addition to this, there was the unusually high temperature and liquid flame of the explosion which seemed to spread over everything. I actually watched a steel plate catch fire from a burst. The steering gear was hit and jammed in their first broadside and their mainmast damaged and the Suvorov left the line, unable to signal. The Suvorov ended up a blazing wreck with funnels and masts shot away. At about 4.30pm, Semenov was inspecting the damage. Having finished my inspection of the lower battery, one gun only left in working order, I went through the upper to the forward light gun battery, not one of the turrets was fit for action and I was struck by the picture it presented, illustrating more clearly than I had yet seen the action of the enemy's projectiles. There were no fires. Everything that could ignite had already been burned. The four 12-pounder guns had been torn off their mountings and in vain I looked on them for marks of direct hits. None could be seen. The havoc had clearly been caused by the force of the explosion and not by the impact of the shell. As the Russians steamed north-northeast, the Japanese crossed the T again. As each ship made its turn, it concentrated its fire on the battleship Oziyabya. The forward turret was hit three times and put out of action. Five high-explosive shells each made an enormous hole in the bow plating and the water entering brought the ship down until her three-inch battery gun ports were awash. Three 12-inch shells strike in succession and armour plate on the waterline amidships first loosened and then tore it off and finally opened a huge hole in the side. In an hour it was sunk. All the forward shell plating above the armoured belt of the Suvorov was shot away, and at 1425 it was ablaze fore and aft, and the Borodino exploded before sinking. Then the Japanese began torpedo attacks from the destroyers. The Imperator Alexander attempted a breakout to the southeast with four other battleships and the flagship, but was hit and caught fire at about 1815. Within an hour, the Alexander and the three other Russian battleships had been sunk. 
About 1930, in mist and darkness, the action paused. Around 8pm, the Japanese sent in 21 destroyers and 37 torpedo boats to harass and destroy the Russian fleet, which was scattering to the north. Part of the Russian fleet used searchlights to spot the Japanese, which only made them better targets. The Russians lost two more battleships and two armoured cruisers. The Japanese, only three torpedo boats. In the morning, the remaining Russian ships were sighted near the island of Takashima, about 400 kilometres to the north. The Japanese continued the action for nearly two hours until the Russian admiral, outnumbered, surrounded and unable to return fire, surrendered on board the Japanese flagship Mikasa. Of the 38 Russian ships that began the action, only an armed yacht and two destroyers escaped to Vladivostok and one cruiser made it all the way home to Kronstadt. A British commentator said, Never has there been a more signal and discreditable defeat. Never before has so enormous a force been destroyed with so little effort or loss on the victor's side. The Japanese themselves were stupefied at the swiftness and ease of their own success. The Russians lost 4,380 men killed, 5,917 captured, including two admirals, and 1,862 interned by neutral powers. The Japanese lost 117 men killed and 500 to 600 wounded. Russian ship losses were 11 battleships sunk or scuttled and four surrendered, five cruisers lost and three interned with one escaping, and six destroyers lost, one interned and two escaping. The Japanese lost three torpedo boats. More than 6,000 Russians were taken prisoner, including the wounded Admiral Rozhestvensky. He was visited later in a Japanese hospital by Admiral Togo, who apologised for the absence of comforts due to such a distinguished patient. Rozhestvensky was court-martialed in Russia for his conduct and acquitted. Other Russians were not so forgiving. Captain Nikolas Klado, who had been a perpetual thorn in the side of Rozhestvensky and his efforts, wrote... The whole Russian personnel had grown up in an atmosphere of self-satisfaction, contempt for the teaching of war and even science. Admirals and captains had never profoundly studied modern naval war, strategy and tactics. Togo, who, as an officer cadet, had trained on board HMS Worcester and HMS Victory, was made a member of the Order of Merit by Edward VII and a count in Japan, and when he died in 1934, he was a Marquis and the most decorated Japanese naval officer. The Mikasa, which was built by Vickers in Barrow in Furness, is preserved as a museum ship at Yokosuka Naval Base. I very much hope you have enjoyed this, our first part of the special edition on the Battle of Tsushima, do please make sure that you follow us on social media so you don't miss out on anything. The Society for Nautical Research is on Twitter and on Facebook and the Mariners Mirror podcast has its own Instagram page and also a YouTube channel where not only will you be able to see uh, the magnificent animation of Pakenham's battle plan of the Battle of Tsushima, but also all sorts of other interesting visual material. Uh, best of all, though, please do uh, check out the Society for North Core Research's website at snr.org.uk and please, please join the Society because your annual subscription will go towards publishing the most important maritime history and towards preserving our maritime past.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com